All right, well, we're there in Romans chapter number 12. I'd like you to keep your place right there in Romans 12. That's going to be our text for this morning. But if you would, go with me just very quickly to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 22. Keep your place there in Romans chapter 12. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. And then go with me to the book of Proverbs. In the Old Testament, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you will more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. And then do me a favor and keep your place there as well. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Proverbs 22. We're going to be going back and forth between Romans and Proverbs throughout uh, the sermon. So if you could keep your place in Romans 12 and also in the book of Proverbs. Today we are concluding a series we've been going through on Sunday mornings called Anger Management. We've been learning what the Bible teaches about anger and how to deal with our anger, how to control our anger. And this is something that we all uh have to deal with the anger, something that affects all of us, some people more than others, but it's something that we all need to learn about. And uh, of course, this morning we are finishing up uh, this series. This is the fourth week in this series. And if you're here this morning and you are new or you're visiting with us, and uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those uh, previous sermons. Uh, Some of you have been here for all of the sermons, and you probably need to go back and listen to them again anyway. But, um, you know, I would definitely encourage you to listen to them if you uh, haven't been here for these. And, of course, on the first week, I preached a sermon called A Theology of Anger. And we looked at just a biblical overview of anger, what the Bible teaches about anger, and what anger is, and why it's so destructive to our relationships. There is nothing that will kill the relationships around you sooner than your uncontrolled anger. And we learned about that. And then the second week, we talked about why we get so angry. And we learned that we all are... Uh, have a little bit of a temper tantrum child inside of us that gets angry when we don't get what we want. And we learned about that, and of course, James uh, chapter 4 really dissected that for us. Last week, we talked about how to deal with our own anger and how to deal with the anger that is inside of us. This week, we're going to finish up with learning about how to deal with the anger of others. Because sometimes, And I would say most of the time, and I would say the biggest part of the battle with anger is just dealing with your own anger, controlling your own anger. But sometimes we have to deal with the anger of others. Sometimes there are angry people around us, angry people in our lives, and we have to deal with those angers. Just by way of introduction, um, let me say this. The best thing to do with an angry person is to avoid them altogether. Uh, the, the, the Bible teaches that we don't want to be around angry people. Proverbs 22, look at verse 24. Proverbs 22, verse 24, the Bible says this, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. The Bible says you don't want to be a companion of someone who just has uncontrolled anger. You don't want to go or uh, journey with people that are just constantly angry. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Here's why, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. The Bible teaches this concept from this verse and other places that when you spend time with people, you will become like those people. And God says, hey, you don't want to be around angry people because you'll end up being an angry person. The best thing to do with an angry person is to avoid them altogether. However, life sometimes does not make avoiding angry people something that's possible. We can't, you know, the advice, and this morning we're talking about how to deal with uh, the anger of others. And if I can help you, 
uh, with just this point, then you can take a nap or do whatever you got to do if you don't want to listen for the rest of the sermon. And it's this, just avoid angry people altogether. Just avoid being around angry people. But, but sometimes avoiding angry people is not possible. It's not possible, and, and I'm not giving you the advice to avoid an angry person if, for example, the angry person you're talking about is someone you're married to, or maybe it's your parent, or maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your in-laws, or maybe you're the angry in-law. You know, maybe it's whatever situation, sometimes avoiding angry people is not something that is Possible. When possible, the best thing to do is to avoid angry people altogether. But sometimes life and the relationships of life do not allow us to avoid angry people. So what I'd like to do this morning is I want to give you four steps uh, in regards to four steps that we should take in regards to dealing with the anger of others. Now, you, you, you're there in Proverbs 22. Keep your place there if you would. And go back with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 12. And in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul gives us four steps to help us deal with the anger of others. I want to give you these steps. We'll move through them as quickly as we can. I'd encourage you to write these down, jot these down, uh, put them uh, on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. And I would encourage you to jot these down. Last week, I gave you three steps for dealing with your own anger. This week, I'm going to give you four steps for dealing with the anger of others. And honestly... You need to put these notes somewhere where you can see them on a regular basis. Some of you need to frame these in your house. Some of you need to get them tattooed on you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't do that. But um, some of you need to uh, uh, have these in your Bible. Have these on your refrigerator. Learn how to deal with your anger. So how do we deal with the anger of others? Notice Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Recompense. Recompense. The word recompense means to repay or to make restitution, recompense to no man evil for evil. The Apostle Paul is giving us these steps of how to deal with the anger of others, how to not allow others to uh, make us angry or get a reaction out of us. And the first step, and if you'd write this down, step number one is simply this, and I'm going to take these points directly from the Word of God here. Step one, recompense to no man evil for evil recompense to no man evil for evil. The Bible says, and Paul says, that we should not recompense, we should not repay, we should not make restitution when people are evil towards us, when they try to hurt us, when they're rude to us, when they're mean to us, when they call us names, when they do mean things to us, that we should decide, we should Choose The way that we deal with the anger of others is to choose as a Christian to recompense to no man evil for evil. And you say, well, why, why is that important? Here's why. Because when both sides recompense evil for evil, the conflict will never end. I mean, if, if, if every time somebody's rude to you, you're rude back, and then that person is rude back because now you are rude to them, and now they were rude to you a second time, so you're going to be rude back. If every time that somebody does evil to you, you recompense evil for evil, you're going to find yourself in constant uh, conflict and anger. And by the way, this is why the Bible talks about, and we've talked about it in other sermons, but the Bible talks about people being angry people, a furious man, an angry man. 
People that are not, they don't get angry, they are angry, and part of the reason they're always angry is because they're in this constant cycle of, I'm not going to let them talk to me like that, I'm not going to let them treat me that way, I'm not going to let them make me feel that way. Every time somebody does evil to me, I'm going to respond with evil. And, and, and Paul says, look, if you want to uh, respond biblically, properly to the anger of others, step one is choose to not recompense evil for evil. Keep your place there in Romans. Go back to Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. You've heard the phrase before. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, tit for tat. The phrase means the infliction of an injury or insult in return for one that has, uh, that has been suffered. This is how some people live their lives. Unfortunately, tit for tat is the description of some of your marriages. The way you live your life is just, they said this, so I said that. They threw this, so I threw that. They, you know, cussed at me, so I cussed back. And the Bible says, look, when you live your life that way, you will live in constant conflict. Proverbs 24, look at verse 29. Proverbs 24, verse 29, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 24, 29. Say not. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. This is a book that God gave us in order to give us very practical truths for how to live our lives in a wise way. Notice what the proverb says. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. Now, isn't that what the world teaches us? The world teaches, you know, you treat people the way they treat you. And if people are mean to you, then you be mean back. If people are rude to you, then you be rude back. If people are jerks to you, then you be a jerk back. But that's not what the Bible says. Look, you have not so learned Christ. The world says, hey, treat people the way they treat you. You know what Christ says? Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Say not, I will do so to him as he had done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. That is a very foolish way to live your life. Amen. To live your life in such a way that says, well, I'll just do to people what they've done to me. Hey, aren't you thankful Christ didn't live like that? Amen. Proverbs chapter 20. If you flip back a couple of chapters, Proverbs chapter 20, look at verse 22. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Notice what the Bible says, say not thou. It almost seems like Paul took this right out of Proverbs. Say not thou, I will recompense evil. But wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. See, the first step, you say, how do I deal? You say, I, I have an angry husband, uh, and, and, and as much as I try, I can't avoid him. Or I have an angry wife, and as much as I try, you know, I've got my uh, spot in the corner of the housetop, but I can't avoid her. And I've got angry parents, and they're just angry, and they're just always upset. My dad is always mad. My mom is always angry. Uh, I've got an angry boss. You know, wh- whatever the situation is, I, I have to deal with people who have out-of-control anger. What do I do? Well, step one is you must choose to recompense to no man evil for evil. Now, here's why that's hard. Go to the book of Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. In the New Testament, first book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 5. Not recompensing evil for evil is very difficult. It's easy to preach. It's a little harder to practice. The reason that it's so difficult is because it's not what our flesh wants. What our flesh wants is when someone hits us to hit them back. 
Not recompensing evil for evil is very difficult because it's not what you want. But when we talk about anger and conflict, when both sides decide, I will recompense evil for evil, I will live this life of tit for tat, I will, you know, treat people not the way I'd like to be treated, but I'm going to treat people the way they treat me, then there's going to be no end in sight to the conflict. In fact, oftentimes, the only way to end conflict is for someone to just take wrong. Amen. For someone to take the wrong. For someone to take the hit. Matthew chapter 5, are you there? Look at verse 38. This is, of course, the famous Sermon on the Mount. Probably the most famous sermon in the entire Bible. Many sermons were given in the Bible. This one was given by our Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a sermon in which he taught us to live the Christian life. This is not teaching you how to be saved. This is not teaching you how to become a Christian. This is teaching us how to live as a Christian, how to live as a follower of Christ. Matthew 5 and verse 38, notice what he says. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now let me just take a moment and help you understand that Jesus is not speaking ill of this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, Because this is actually taken out of the Old Testament. This is one of the laws that Moses gave. And the reason that Jesus is bringing this up is because this is something that actually government is supposed to do. Government has been instituted by God. One of the purposes is to bring judgment. And when someone harms somebody else, when somebody violently takes somebody's eye, then they, there should be a balance to that justice. And the Bible says, and Jesus says, ye have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And again, within governmental law, this is very appropriate. Within the laws of a land and the laws of a government, it's appropriate that punishment that equal and just punishment be given for an offense. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is very proper and appropriate for a government to do. In fact, I wish we lived in a government where people would do this, where the government would actually carry out justice. Let me tell you it would be more effective than throwing somebody in a prison cell for many, many years is is doing what the Bible says. You know in the Bible there's no prisons? No prisons in the Bible. But you know what there is? An eye for an eye. I mean, I, you would think, you would think that uh, a guy would get, you know, think twice about injuring somebody to the point where they were disfigured or where they were, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, harmed in a physical way. You think they would give that a, a second thought if they realize that the punishment is not going to be, you know, a bed and three meals a day, the punishment is, you know, if I beat this guy down, they're going to beat me down the same way. I mean, you'd probably cut down on, on, on the DUIs of every time the drunkard got in a car and maimed somebody if the punishment was, well, now, you know, you, you made them lose their leg, now you're going to lose your leg. So I don't think you should preach this way. Hey, this is the Bible. Excuse me for introducing you to the Word of God. This is actual justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is very appropriate within a government system. But please understand this. It's not appropriate within your marriage. It's not an appropriate way to raise your children. 
It's not an appropriate way to deal with your co-workers. Jesus says, ye have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, notice he says, that ye resist not evil. Jesus is saying, there's nothing wrong with a government uh, 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 giving out justice and giving out, you know, removing an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But he says, I'm talking to you personally because you personally and, and myself, we're not the government. We're, we have not been given that authority. And he says, when you decide, and of course he's, he's, he's using hyperbole here, he's uh, making a point, he's saying, when you decide within your personal relationship that you're going to live a life that says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he says, ye resist not evil. You say, what does that mean, that you resist not evil? It means that you are not resisting yourself from performing evil or retaliating when you take it upon yourself to recompense evil. The government should give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But you know that you and I should resist evil? It's not our place. It's not our authority. Notice what he says. Jesus says, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do personally. He says, but whosoever, whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek. I don't know about you, but, you know, in my opinion, you know, the word smite means to strike or smack or slap. Slapping somebody is probably the rudest thing you could do. And please, please, you know, let me help some of you parents out. Don't ever slap your children. Don't ever slap your children in the face. Please don't. Please don't do that. Please don't do it around me. You know, we believe in, in corporal punishment, and we believe the Bible teaches that you ought to spank your children. But, you know, when you spank your children, it ought to be done in an appropriate way. God, God put a, a, a section in, in the body of a child uh, uh, on their backside with a little extra cushion with a little extra nerve endings there where you can appropriately give a spanking. Don't, don't slap your children in the face. That's not appropriate. Amen. You should never slap anybody in the face. Here, but here, here, Jesus gives this example. I think this is the rudest thing somebody could ever do to someone. And he says, But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, smite them back. Is that what he says? No. He says, Turn to him the other also. See, when we, when we live this way, when we live this way, we say, well, I treat people the way they treat me, and I recommend evil for evil, and they smack me on the face, so I'm going to smack them back. Well, here's the thing. Then they're going to smack you back. And you're going to smack them back. And there'll be no end. At some point, someone's got to take the hit. At some point, someone's got to be mature enough to say, hey, whosoever shall smite thee on my right cheek, turn to him the other also. Amen. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat. Somebody's suing you because they want to take your coat. Jesus said, don't retaliate. Don't try to get back. He says, hey, let him have thy cloak also. See, oftentimes the only way to end a conflict is for someone to take the wrong, for someone to be wronged, and to say, that's okay. I'm not going to recompense evil for evil. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You're there in... If you kept your place in Romans, right after Romans, you have 1 Corinthians. Some of you say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Well, number one, we're only on step one, okay? We got four steps, so (laughs) give me a minute. But number two, let me just say this. Life's not fair. Then you die. That's not fair. You notice how we only care about things not being fair when they're not fair on our end? It's funny how we only care about justice when we're the ones that are wronged. 
when we've wronged, when we've been rude, when we've been mean, when we're the ones cussing, when we're the ones throwing things, when we're the ones slapping people, when we're the ones being rude, then all of a sudden it's mercy and grace, mercy and grace, show mercy. For the love of God, show mercy. But when somebody does that to you, it's like recompense evil for evil. An eye for an eye. That's not fair. Look, at some point when it comes with conflict, when it comes with fighting, someone's got to be mature enough to take the hit. Someone's got to be mature enough to say, I know they were rude to me, but I'm not going to be rude back. I know they were mean to me, but I'm not going to be mean back. I know that they were subtly taking a jab at me, but I'm not going to subtly take a jab back. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Here, the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that there are Christians who are uh, uh, fighting with each other, having a matter against another. He's talking to the church at Corinth. These are believers. Look at verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother and not before the unbelievers. He's talking about the fact that uh, Christians are suing each other and taking each other to court. And by the way, the Bible teaches that we as Christians should never sue each other. Amen. But brother goeth to law with brother and not before unbelievers. Notice verse 7. Now here's what's interesting. You say, oh, well, uh, if we don't sue each other, then, then what, what, what about when somebody wrongs me? Well, number one, God gave us a way to deal with an offended brother. It's called Matthew 18. It means you go to them privately and you try to deal with the situation. And if they won't hear you, then you bring uh, a witness that, uh, that the words may be established. And, and the way that whole thing ends is that if nobody wants to get right and everybody's just trying to, to, to avoid the situation, then it ends before the church. You bring it before the church, the Bible says. God actually gave us a way to deal with conflict. But you know what's even better? And, and that, that is something that's biblical, and God tells us we have that option. But you know what's even better than that? Paul says in verse 7, Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. He says, Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He says, You know what would be better? is why don't you allow yourself to take wrong? Why don't you, the word suffer means allow. Why don't you allow, you say, well, I will never allow someone to, to defraud me or to rip me off or to use me in that way. God says, Jesus says, that uh, the Apostle Paul says, why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? By the way, let me say this. You will never be more like Christ. You will never be more like Christ than when you allow yourself to be defrauded. Jesus allowed himself to be defrauded. He allowed himself to be lied about. He allowed himself to be, to, 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 to be done wrong in so many ways. Why? For you and for me. Amen. And here's all I'm saying. Oftentimes, the only way to end a conflict is for someone to take the hit. It's for somebody to turn the other cheek. It's for somebody to take the loss and let them have your cloak also. It's for someone to take the wrong. It's for someone to suffer yourself to be defrauded. And when we're talking about dealing with anger, when we're talking about dealing with the, the anger of others, step number one is to just decide in your mind and in your heart, I will not recompense evil for evil. I'm not going to treat people the way they treat me. I'm going to follow the example and the commandment of my Savior, and I will treat people the way I'd like to be treated. So step one, go back to Romans chapter number 12, if you would. 
Step one, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Then he says this. Here's step number two. If you're writing it down, I'd encourage you to write these down. Step one, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Number two, live peaceably with all men. Notice verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, notice these words, live peaceably with all men. Now let me just say this. We understand that sometimes peace is not possible. Sometimes living peaceably with people is not possible. Psalm 120 and verse 7, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. Psalm 120 and verse 7, here's what David said. He said, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And it wasn't because David was being rude here. It's just the, the point is this. Sometimes, look, there's some things we can't compromise on. There are some things that we believe from the Bible, or we should believe as Bible-believing Christians. We're not going to compromise on it. And, and when we communicate those thoughts, when we teach those things, when we preach those things, hey, I'm for peace, but sometimes when I preach, they're for war. Sometimes there's just not the possibility of peace. We understand that sometimes peace is not possible. However, when possible, we should always strive for peace. Look, look down at Romans 12, 18 again. If it be possible, if it be possible, notice this phrase, as much as life in you. What does that mean? It means as much as you can, as much as you can strive for, as much as you can exert energy towards. He says, if it be possible, as much as life in you, he says, live peaceably with all men. We should always, look, as Bible-believing Christians, we should always be the ones trying to pacify a conflict, not instigate it. I would remind you, you don't have to go back there, but in Matthew chapter 5, if you continue, if you remember the the, the Sermon on the Mount that we just looked at, we're going to look at it again in a minute, but in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, part of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this famous statement. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Go to Romans chapter 14. You're there in Romans 12. Just flip a few pages over. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. As Bible-believing Christians, we should be the ones trying to pacify conflict. We should be the ones trying to bring peace, not the ones trying to incite it or instigate it. Romans 14 and verse 19, notice what uh, the book of Romans says here. It says, let us therefore, notice these words, follow after the things which make for peace. Let me, let me explain something to you. Peace in your home, peace in a church, peace in any sort of organization doesn't just happen. See, people have this idea, and usually it's angry people who have this idea. Angry, furious people with short tempers, they think, well, if everybody just quit, you know, upsetting me so much, then we would have peace. And they look at couples that don't fight, well, they must just, you know, they just never, you know, irritate each other. They, they, they look at, you know, parents with their teenagers that actually love each other and, and enjoy each other's company. Well, their, their teenager must just, you know, not be an idiot. Or, or, their, or the teenager, well, their parents must be cool. Or their, this or that. Let me explain something to you. Whenever you find a marriage, whenever you find a husband and a wife that, that have peace in their home, that didn't just happen. They've worked at that. Amen. They've made choices. 
They've grown. They've read their Bibles. They've prayed. They've been mature. They've matured in the Christian life. Don't get this idea and say, well, my husband and I fight because he's an idiot or she's an idiot, and if they stop being an idiot, then we'll have peace just like that. No, you won't. Let us therefore follow, notice these words, after the things which make for peace. When people have peace in their lives, in their homes, it's because they chose to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Like we talked about last week. It's because they chose to recompense to no man evil for evil. It's because they chose to do the things that bring peace. And by the way, the reverse is true. When your life is full of chaos and conflict and anger and wrath and cussing and yelling and and throwing things and hitting each other, it's because you chose to do that. It's because you chose to live that life. Go to Proverbs. Go back to Proverbs chapter 16 if you would. Keep your place right there in Romans. Go back to Proverbs. Let me ask you a question while you turn there. Don't answer out loud. Please don't answer out loud. Start a fight right here. In your mind. And look, I'm not asking you to answer this aloud to anybody, so, you know, you should be able to be honest at least with yourself. It's funny to me how people live in this self-deception. I mean, go ahead and try to deceive everybody else if you need to do that. You're never going to deceive God, but at least be honest with yourself. I want you to think in your mind. Don't say anything out loud. Just think in your mind about the last argument, the last fight, the last time you engaged in anger with someone. Maybe it was your spouse. Maybe it was your teenager. Maybe it was somebody on the road. You don't even know. Think about the last argument you had and ask yourself, were you the one trying to calm things down or were you the one trying to rile things up? Were you the one trying to calm things down, trying to get everyone to settle, trying to get yourself to settle, trying to not allow things to blow up? Or were you the ones just constantly taking the jabs, constantly taking the jabs, you know, constantly bringing it up, constantly saying the things? Proverbs 16 and verse 14, the Bible says this, the wrath of a king is as a messenger of death. Notice these words. But a wise man, but a wise man will pacify it. You know what wise people do? They live peaceably with all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. A wise man will pacify it. See, sometimes peace is not possible, but when peace is possible, we should strive for peace, and we should always be the ones who are trying to pacify a conflict, trying to calm things down, trying to uh, uh, bring things to a place where they're not going to blow up, not be the ones that are instigating, not be the ones that are irritating, not be the ones that are just taking jabs. And look, you say, well, how did I do that? Well, if you remember from last week, slow to speak. Look, sometimes it means to just shut our mouths. Just be done with it. Wrath of a king is a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Go back to Proverbs chapter number 12. Uh, Excuse me, Romans chapter 12. Keep your place in Proverbs. Romans chapter 12. We're talking about four steps to deal with the anger of others. They're raging at me. They're angry at me. They're just angry all the time. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my wife. It's my husband. It's my boss. It's my in-laws. Whatever it is. It's my pastor. I don't know. 
How do you deal with the anger? Hopefully not. How do you deal with the anger of others? Number one, step one, recompense to no man evil for evil. Decide, decide. That you're not going to live this life of tit for tat. That if anybody has to be the mature one, and look, some of you teenagers, look, some of you teenagers, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you live in that home. I'm sorry that I even have to make this statement. But it may just have to be, it may just have to be in your home, in your home, teenager, that you're the mature one. That you're the one who becomes spiritually mature and your dad just won't stop. I mean, he just won't drop it. He just keeps taking jabs. And your mom, she just never, just never lets up and never lets it go. And just very bitter and very angry. And if you live that way, I'm sorry. But maybe you got to read the Bible and pray and mature and say, in this home, I guess I'm just going to have to be the one. That that doesn't recompense evil for evil. That doesn't talk back and jab back. I may just have to be the one. I'm sorry your mom failed you. I'm sorry your dad failed you. If you remember from last week, use a little empathy. If you would have been raised the way they were raised, if your parents had left you the way they left them, if you're whatever situation they grew up with, maybe you'd be just like that. And praise God, you're not. And at least they've got you in a church where you can hear these sermons. At least they've got you in a church where you can learn these things. But look, sometimes somebody has to just decide. I'm going to be mature. I'm going to take the hit. I'm not going to recompense evil for evil. I'm going to live peaceably with all men, as much as life in me, as much as possible. Which is why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> and by the way, don't miss this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. The greatest testimony you could ever have as a Christian is that you're not the one who irritates and riles things up, but you're the one who's trying to pacify and make peace. Amen. Here's step number three. I said number one, recompense to no man evil for evil. Number two, live peaceably with all men. Number three, avenge not yourselves. Avenge not yourselves. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 says this, Dearly beloved, dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. The word avenge means revenge. Avenge not yourself. Notice, but rather give place unto wrath. Because look, when people are mean to us, when people are angry with us, doesn't it rile up anger in us? When people are mean towards us, we want to be mean towards them. When they're angry angry at us, we want to be angry at them. When they're wrathful towards us, we want to be wrathful towards them. But the Bible says, hey, we need to give place unto wrath. We need to put wrath in a proper place. We need to get rid of it. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, for it is written. He's about to quote the Old Testament here. This is God Almighty God speaking. This is the Lord God speaking. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You say, why don't I want to avenge myself? Here's why, because it's not your place to avenge yourself. God said, Vengeance is mine. Why don't I want to seek revenge? Because it's not your place to seek revenge. It is not our place to avenge ourselves or to carry out revenge. And here's the interesting thing. Here's the funny thing. And by the way, this will help you with that first Remember that question you were all asking? You wrote it in big red letters on your notes. It's not fair! Well, here's the thing. When you realize, when you understand, when you believe that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. 
then you don't have to recompense evil for evil. You can put it in God's hands. Because here's the interesting thing. When we take vengeance into our own hands, we go from being innocent to guilty. You don't have to turn here. Let me just read these verses for you. 1 Samuel chapter 24. You can jot down these verses if you'd like for your notes. 1 Samuel 24. This is David speaking to Saul. Remember when David had done nothing but be loyal to Saul? Killed Goliath. He was loyal. He was a great worker for Saul. Did everything Saul asked him to do. Went above and beyond. And Saul, because of his envy, decided to turn on David and he was hunting him down. David had to live like an outlaw and live out in the wilderness and caves and in the woods. And of course, I won't take the time to read it, but we have that famous story where Saul goes into a cave to use the restroom. It happens to be the cave that David and his men are hiding. He has an opportunity to kill Saul and chooses not to. And there's lots of great things that David says after that to Saul. But I want you to notice in 1 Samuel 24, verse 12 and 15, you have to turn there, I'll just read this for you. Verse 12 says this, this is what David says. He, says. he says, the Lord judge between me and thee. Let me, let me explain something to you. This is a really good place to be as a Christian. When with a conscience clear of offense, you can look at those that have hurt you and say, the Lord judge between me and thee. Let me tell you, you know why we don't want God to judge? We want God to judge when we've been wronged. But you know when we no longer want God to judge? When we've taken vengeance into our own hands. When we did something stupid. When we responded in a bad way. When our conscience is not clear, we say, God, just you know, let it go. It's okay. Because we don't, we don't want God to judge us. Here's what David says, the Lord judge between me and thee. And the Lord avenge me of thee. Here's, how, here's why David could say it. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. I could have killed you, but I'm not going to. I could have recompensed evil for evil, but I'm not going to. Mine hand shall not be upon thee. He says in verse 15, The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. See, here's the truth. When we avenge ourselves, when we take matters into our own hands, we go from innocent to guilty. Look, isn't this true with your kids? Your kids are sitting there playing, another kid walks up, you know, their sibling walks up, and he wants what they want because that's the only reason any of us ever fight. And one of them punches the other one. Well, the one that got punched is the innocent party. What they should do is go to their parents who, by the way, are a representation of God in their lives. And then the parents should bring judgment and justice and vengeance upon the offending child. But what usually happens, one kid gets hit and they do the same thing you do. They do it with their kids, you do it with your spouse. They do it with their friends, you do it with your teenagers. They do Same thing you do with your co-workers. They get hit, So they hit back. Well, look, the moment they hit back, they went back from being innocent to guilty. You say, what happens in our house? You know what happens in our house? They both get a spanking. Because one shouldn't have hit the other one. But the other one shouldn't have hit back. This is why your life is such a mess. 
God wants to avenge you. God wants to revenge you. God wants to bring you justice. Hey, hey, God wants your life to be like Joseph, where he was lying about, where he was sold into slavery, where, where they lied and put him in prison, and, 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 Joe, and, and Joseph responded in a way that he says, I'm not going to recompense evil for evil, and God was able to promote him, and God was able to avenge him, and even when God could, uh, when Joseph had the power to bring wrath upon his brothers, he said, am I in the place of God? God wants you to be like Job where everything's taken from you and all the wrongs are, are, are not your fault and then he can bless you as a result. But you and I mess it up! When we get hit, when we get wrong, when we take wrong, God says, here's an opportunity for my child to give out the testimony, the light of Jesus Christ. And then we hit him. And God's like, oh, well, maybe next time. I mean, when somebody wrongs us, God's like, here's an opportunity for them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then we cuss. And God's like, oh, good night. I guess there's only one Job. I guess there's not that many Josephs. Look, look, here's, here's all I'm saying. When we avenge ourselves, when we avenge ourselves, we take on authority that doesn't belong to us. It is not our place to avenge ourselves or carry out revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And when we avenge ourselves, we go from innocent to guilty. David is in a very good place when he can say, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of, these, of this, of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. So how do you deal with the anger of others? You decide to recompense to no man evil for evil. You choose to live peaceably with all men. You avenge not yourselves. Go back to Romans chapter 12. Let me give you the fourth step. Step number four. Overcome evil with good. We want to overcome evil with evil. That's why he says recompense to no man evil for evil. We want to overcome hurt with hurt. The problem with overcoming hurt with hurt is that now we hurt them, so now they hurt us. Well, now they hurt us again, so we're going to hurt them again. And we're just going to keep doing this till we end up divorced. We're just going to keep doing this till we end up not having a relationship with our adult children. We're going to keep doing this till we end up just having everybody in church hate us. We're going to keep doing this until we get fired. We recompense evil for evil, and when we recompense evil for evil, there's no end in sight. Paul says, recompense to no man evil for evil. Live peaceably with all men, avenge not yourself. Then he says this, overcome evil with good. Romans 12, look at verse 20. Therefore, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, by the way, this is your enemy, not the enemies of God. And by the way, let me just let you in on a little secret. All your enemies are not the enemies of God. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, and notice what Paul says, this is so counterintuitive. If thine enemy hunger, good, let him starve. No, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. 
You say, what, what is Paul teaching here? Same thing Jesus taught. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. You know what he's teaching? You know what real Christianity is? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Salvation is my sins have been forgiven. My sins have been taken off me and placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been placed on me. That's salvation. You just got to believe on Christ. You just have to trust him and call upon him for salvation. He'll save you. But you know what Christianity is? Discipleship. Being a disciple of Christ. Being a follower of Christ. It's learning to love those who have hurt you. Amen. And by the way, you'll never be more like Christ when you love those who hurt you. Because we've all hurt Christ. All our sins put him on the cross. And yet he loves us. Notice what he says, Matthew 5.43 you have heard that it had been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor. Well, isn't that, that's easy, right? Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, notice, but I say unto you, love your enemies. And this is where Paul got it from. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Romans twelve twenty. Jesus says, Matthew five forty four. but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Try that one day. Your husband's cussing at you. Your wife's cussing at you. And you're, and you're just like, I'm going to pray for you right now. Amen. Lord, bless my wife. Amen. Lord, bless my husband. Say, ah, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to earn you rewards in heaven. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you. They're using me. They're abusing me. They're just taking advantage of me. Well, you know what the Bible says? You should pray for them. You should suffer yourself to be defrauded. You should pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Go to Proverbs 21, if you would. Proverbs 21. The Bible says that we should love those who hurt us. We should overcome evil with good. You ever heard this phrase before? Killing them with kindness? This is what the Bible teaches. Proverbs 21 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 21 verse 14. A gift in secret pacifieth anger, and a reward in the bosom strong wrath. A gift in secret pacifieth anger. I remember hearing a story one time, but uh, Pastor Anderson told this story about how he worked, when he lived here in Sacramento, he worked uh, for a fire alarm company, and there was an, a, an, a, an employee there. He wasn't, I think the story goes, he, he wasn't the boss, but he was like, he had a lot of seniority there. There was a, a guy that had been there for a long time, really knew his stuff, knew, was just the, the most experienced, the most knowledgeable of the job, and the job, and, and a great resource for uh, the company, but the guy was a jerk. He had a very short temper, he was just always angry and always yelling and cussing at everybody and all these things. And he got away with it because he was the one with the most seniority and he's the one, everybody needed him and they needed his help. He had all the experience. So he, he got away with it and he was working with this guy uh, one time and, and, and Pastor Anderson told a story where he, he hadn't even done anything wrong. They were working and something went wrong with the job. Something was uh, not there that should have been there or not done right. It had nothing to do with him, but he just happened to be there when it happened and this guy just blew up on him. Just started yelling at him and 
cursing at him and cussing at him and just, I mean, the, 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 he said, the, the worst I've ever been yelled at. I mean, to the point where people around the other employees were just kind of like, oh, man, you know, just really took it out on him. And, you know, he tells a story where he says he was in his flesh. He wanted to just punch the guy or start yelling back at him or whatever. But he remember these, these verses, you know, recompense to no man, evil for evil, love your enemies, all those things. Well, uh, break time came around. And they were all, you know, taking a break. And he went over to go buy a, a soda or a, a Coke or something from the vending machi- machine. And while he was there getting a, dr- a drink for himself, something just in his mind told him, maybe the Holy Spirit, something said, you know, just, just get, get something to drink for this guy. And he bought another Coke. And he went and said, hey, I picked this up for you. And the guy took it and he was really surprised. But he said ever, for the rest of the day and ever since then, he was just the nicest to him, helped him. He yelled at all the other, he still yelled at all the other employees, but he just never yelled at him, never always would help him with his task if he needed. He ended up becoming this like great, you know, uh, resource for him at this company. You know what the Bible says? A gift in secret pacifieth anger. Amen. And a reward in the bosom, strong wrath. Look, listen, husband, sometimes, yeah, you need to apologize, but sometimes it's good to buy a gift too. Amen. You know what I'm saying is sometimes we need to love those who hurt us. Go back to Romans 12. And when we love those who hurt us, you know what we show? We show that we're the bigger person. We're sure that we show that we're the more mature person. Romans 12, 20, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Notice, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So what does that phrase mean? He pulls a fire on his head or on one's head. It means to make a special effort to induce feelings of guilt or remorse in another person. See, when somebody yells at you for something you had nothing to do, they just take it on you. And then they come back an hour later and they're like, hey, I know you're having a rough day. Just getting a drink for myself. Got one for you. You know what you do? You make them feel stupid. You make them feel shame, guilt, remorse. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And look, look, and everybody around you knows it. And by the way, I'm, I'm, preaching, on, I'm preaching on dealing with the anger of others, but let me just talk for a second to those of you who have the anger problems. Dad, when you're yelling at your wife, and your wife is mature and has decided to recompense to no man evil for evil, to not respond in an angry way, to not respond in a mean way, look, you are destroying your testimony in front of your children. Your children know. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know who's wrong and who's right. When someone's just flying off the handle, when someone just cannot control themselves. The Bible says that we should overcome evil with good. For in so doing that shall he coals a fire on his head. Notice verse 21. Be not overcome of evil. Be not overcome of evil. Look, people are angry towards us, mean towards us, rude towards us, hurt us, say mean things, call us names, hit us, throw things at us, whatever. Our flesh wants to be overcome of evil. But Paul says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Because when we love those who hurt us, we show that we are the bigger and more mature person. And when we show people 
that we're going to love them though they hurt us, we can overcome evil with good. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. You're there in Romans. You got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians and Proverbs and we'll finish up. Ephesians and Proverbs, we'll finish up. Overcome evil with good means we're kind. Means we're loving. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind. Be ye kind. Being kind is more than just being friendly. Biblically. You say, what what does it mean to be kind? It means you love your enemies. It's kind when you bless them that curse you. It's kind when you do good to them that hate you. It's kind when you pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It's kind when your enemy hungers, you feed him, and when he thirsts, you give him drink. Those, Those are kind things to do. Be kind one to another. Notice, Tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, tender-hearted. And here's what it comes down to, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Without forgiveness, life is governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. Why should I forgive him? Uh, Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It's interesting in the Bible, it's interesting in the Bible how God always ties forgiveness to the fact that we've been forgiven. I mean, have you ever read the Lord's Prayer? He says, he talks about forgiving our debtors as we forgive those that are indebted to us. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, God, God, always, God always gives the reason. Look, God always gives the reason for forgiveness. He never says, well, forgive them if they, you know, make it right and they do this. And they should make it right and they should confess and they should forsake. And we understand all those things and those things are true. But God never ties forgiveness to that. If that was true, then, then, then Jesus sinned when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the cross. None of those people were repentant. None of those people were taking responsibility for their actions. None of those people were doing anything. Forgiveness is something we do not for the other person, but for ourselves. Because when we don't forgive, all we do is we grow bitter. We grow angry. Someone said bitterness is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping the other person falls over dead. It only hurts you. It only makes you unhappy. It only makes you bitter. It only makes you someone you don't want to be around with. It says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And here's the truth. And look, if you were honest with yourselves, and if I was honest with myself, we could say, after all that God has forgiven me, after all the love and patience and, 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 and the fact that God's been slow to wrath and merciful with me, I think I can choose to not recompense evil for evil. I think I can choose to live peaceably with all men. I think I can choose to not avenge myself, but like David, put it in the hands of God. I think I can overcome evil with good, because without forgiveness, life is governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. Go to Proverbs 15. We'll finish up right here. Proverbs chapter 15. We spent four weeks looking at this subject of anger. We're done. This is the last time we're going to look at this, and then you can... Some of you, you're like... It's done, and you can fight with your spouse on your way to the restaurant. 
or wherever you're going. It's been a rough four weeks, so you're like, ah. Proverbs 15, verse 1. This is my favorite verse on anger. There's a reason why I put it as the last verse in the last sermon of this four-week series. Because if you don't remember anything, I want you to remember this. This is, this is written on the wall of our schoolroom in our house. This is something that I think we should all memorize and we should all know and we should all remember. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. In the midst of conflict, I hope this is what you've learned. In the midst of conflict with other people, you can only control yourself. You can only control your response. Unfortunately, you can't control the response of others. But you can control yourself. Don't, don't, don't tell me, oh, I just get out of control. No, 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 you, you can control yourself. That's why you're nice to strangers. That's why you pick up the phone in a nice way, right, after you were cussing at your kids. In the midst of conflict with others, you can only control your own response. But your response can influence the response of others. That's why the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. When we choose to not recompense evil for evil, we, we've uh, recently set up a safety uh, ministry in our church, and we've got some of these uh, guys that have helping us with, with safety and keeping things uh, you know, secure during the church services. And one of the things that we've done with the safety team is we put them through this 10-hour course on, on providing church security and all those things. And, and, and I took the course myself, even though I'm not on the safety team, just I feel like as a leader I should know everything that everybody's doing. So I took the course myself. And one of the things that they taught in that course is that and this is in the context of, of, of a safety church team. They taught that when somebody is uh, hostile and they're, they're trying to cause a scene or, or a commotion in, in, a, in a public setting or a church setting like this, that the, the best thing that the person dealing with them could do is the louder they get, the calmer they should be. Not raise your voice, because when they raise your voice, you raise your voice, they raise your voice, you raise your voice. They lift their hand, you lift your hand. But as they get angry, we should calm ourselves. We should speak in a calm fashion. Here's what they were saying. A soft answer turneth away wrath. You can live your life that way. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Or you can live your life this way. But grievous words stir up anger. You can only control yourself. You can only control your own response, but your response can influence the response of others. So here's the question. Is your response in conflict turning away wrath, or is it stirring up anger? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul takes the time to teach us how to deal with the anger of others. Lord, I pray you'd help us to take these four steps to heart. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Live peaceably with all men. Avenge not ourselves, 
and overcome evil with good. Lord, I pray you would help us to be a people that are mindful of our anger. Help us to get control over our anger. Help us to get control over our spirits. Lord, help us to learn to live at peace with all men. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.